People are going to lose their minds. This is a moment in history unlike anything humanity's gone through. It's a very different world for humans to come. Take a step back and see the broad picture, which is the way all these technologies are interlinked. Because this is all about exponentiality, and humans can't think in exponential terms. How consequential do you want to say machine intelligence is? It's almost certainly as consequential as writing. How long did writing take to disseminate through the human population? You know, hundreds, thousands of years. And we're dealing with it now on a scale of months. But in this kind of world, you're compounding 100% growth every year, and the numbers become astronomical. AI is going to spot patterns in the world that were just completely invisible to us. Even if you think that the AI and the robots are your demise, you might as well bloody invest in them and make some money out of it. If not, you're just gonna be angry man shaking your fists at the clouds. The signals are telling me that inflation is no longer a worry. Welcome to this live edition of Steno Signals here at Real Vision. My name is Andreas Steno, the host week in and week out of this show. And um, oh boy, we've had some action in inflation markets and of course in interest rate markets as a consequence of the inflation numbers out this week, both from the UK and the US. So I'll dedicate the next 15, 20 minutes to talk about the inflation outlook because on the surface and given how markets react, it seems like inflation is gone as a worry for financial markets. I'm not necessarily sure that we can claim victory on the infl in the inflation battle in the US, uh, but the signs are pretty steady elsewhere around the globe when it comes to inflation pressure. So let's have a look at the details across the globe with a particular focus on US inflation. So if we look at the inflation report from the US this week first, um, it was soft uh, on the surface, 0% uh, inflation on the month, so steady prices. And uh, if we look beneath the surface, I have a lot of details in the chart here. We have quite some discrepancies across the trends we see currently. Obviously, energy was a major component in the disinflation this month. Uh, energy sort of deducted 0.3 percentage points of the uh, inflation number um, relative to a month ago. Uh, so energy was a large component behind this softness uh, in the inflation report. Medical care services was another soft uh, inflation component, not least due to the change of methodology um, from the Statistical Bureau. Um, the cost of health insurance, insurance was down 35% year over year. Obviously, that's not the case in real life. Uh, it's driven by a change of methodology. So there are a few pros and cons uh, in terms of expecting inflation to be gone as a worry in the US from here. First, if energy inflation returns, say in November and December, um, we'll be back at levels consistent with above 2% inflation very swiftly. Um, secondly, this medical care uh, disinflation is probably not something that the Federal Reserve will accept uh, since we will not see the same drop in the PCE price index since there will be no change to the methodology in that index. And we should remember that the PCE index is the ultimate target variable of the Federal Reserve. So ultimately what I'm trying to say here is that 
I think it's too early to just claim victory against inflation in the U.S. Uh, the response that we see uh, in dollar interest rate markets is probably a bit exaggerated here, especially in the front end, given uh, these technical details around the inflation outlook in the U.S. If we look at the same uh, chart on um, the inflation details from the U.K., uh, I'm probably a bit more inclined to say that we see broad-based disinflation uh, in the United Kingdom. Um, the broad-based disinflation is clearer. Um, we see services, for example, as a category printing at levels roughly consistent with the inflation target now over the past three months. So we had zero, five, and three as the monthly changes. On average, that pre that's pretty decently in line with the target. We have goods inflation also running at levels uh, that seem palatable from an inflation targeting perspective. Uh, and we don't have any major shocks in the opposite direction in the UK. And it rhymes well with the narrative that I've toured with over the course of the autumn here that inflation in Europe looks likely to drop below 2% into the early stages of next year, while it's much less clear whether that will happen in the US. So if we take the Eurozone as the final example, um, also the table of details uh, in the most recent inflation report out of the Eurozone, uh, it printed at 0.1 month on month, uh, again, very broad based across categories. It wasn't as energy driven as it was in the US. Uh, and we even have outright declining trends in, uh, for example, recreation and culture, restaurant and hotels, um, core service stuff. Uh, and the service inflation picture is obviously what worries the central bank the most. So I still think the scope for policy easing is, is much more present in Europe and uh, uh, in the United Kingdom uh, relative to the US, even though it seems like it's a, bit of, it's a bit of a global trend right now that every central bank on earth is on pause. Uh, I think that narrative will be tested um, at some point over the course of the next three to four months in the US. Here's why. If we look at uh, a chart on the path to 2% in the US first. It's a very simple scenario analysis, this chart uh, that we'll bring up now uh, with uh, the paths of annual inflation given various monthly numbers. Um, so take, for example, the black line. Uh, it is the scenario of 0.6% inflation on a monthly basis from here over the next six months. So as you can see, even with um, the light blue scenario, 0.1 percentage points of growth in inflation on a monthly basis, we will not get to 2% in six months from now. So it is a very tricky path ahead and you basically need no inflation from here. So 0% inflation month after month after month over the next six months to get below uh, 2%. And I still consider that very unlikely uh, unless we get continued energy disinflation. Um, I'll get back to why I consider that unlikely towards the end of the show. So the path is very tricky to that 2% level in the US. Is it feasible in the UK? Um, same chart with scenarios. Uh, and as you can see, the 0.1 percentage point change month on month brings inflation below 2% uh, in the UK by um, yeah, early Q2 next year. And 
0.1% inflation looks much more feasible in the UK than it does in the US since it hasn't been as energy driven uh, lately. Uh, and since we see that broad-based decline in the uh, sort of momentum in prices, uh, both across services and goods. Uh, so is it feasible that the UK gets to 2% inflation uh, by say April next year? Well, I wouldn't rule it out at least. Uh, I basically rule it out for, for the US. And when it comes to Europe, finally, or the Eurozone, rather, I think we should expect inflation to actually reach sub-2% levels, or at these levels, very close to 2%, uh, following a path of, say, 1.1 percentage points of growth per month. Um, by March, April next year, um, given that path, uh, we will be at plus minus 2%, so very close to target, uh, meaning that the European Central Bank can probably cut interest rates by March or thereabout. So it also rhymes with my positioning in the portfolio right now. I'm I'm long bonds in, in Europe, uh, while in the US, I'm a bit more selective on which bonds to buy, even though we've seen tremendous performance lately. Uh, we'll get back to the portfolio composition towards the end. We're going to take a quick break and be right back with more of today's top analysis on the Real Vision Daily Briefing. I think we all know by now, things are pretty fucked out there for most of us. You see, whether it's currency debasement, rising real estate prices or wages that never go up, it's really hard. And one of the most popular things we ever did was that series How to Unfuck Your Future. So we're going to do it again. March 11th, March 22nd. We'll discuss the problems at hand, no holes barred, and then we'll give you all the tips you need to unfuck your future. It just costs a dollar to join Real Vision to get access to all of this content. Go to realvision.com forward slash the future. I'll see you there. Let's unfuck your future together. If we look at it uh, in various forward-looking uh, indicators, um, they do also rhyme with my view here that it will be trickier for the Federal Reserve to bring inflation to target relative to uh, the developments in Europe. If we look at PPIs first, so essentially the price pressures in the producer leg of the supply chain, we do see quite a discrepancy between uh, the development in the US and in the Eurozone. The Eurozone is a gray line here printing at uh, below minus 10%, so a substantial drop on a yearly basis. And we have the US uh, running um, at uh, above zero uh, in sharp contrast to the developments elsewhere. Uh, so the automatic spillover from the producer leg to the consumer leg is not as crystal clear in the US as it is in Europe, where unless margins are widened materially, we will see um, disinflation maybe even a risk of outright deflation in some categories as a consequence of lower input costs. Um, of course, this can this tide can turn if uh, energy inflation returns with, the, with a vengeance. For now, it uh, it seems like a, a sort of an uh, unlikely scenario, at least to the extent that we were used to in 21 and 22 in Europe. If we look at um, the US in, uh, in isolation, um, I have a chart on the food prices relative to the producer leg. Um, and I think what you should note in this chart, even though it looks very deflationary, is that we have seen a bottom forming uh, in the producer leg in the US. Um, in this particular case for uh, fertilizers, um, of course, of relevance in everything related to foods production, chemicals, etc. Uh, we saw that bottom forming in October. 
uh, and even though it has sort of flatlined since, uh, it's it basically means that the impulse from weakness in uh, producer prices uh, is 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 here and now. Uh, the the impulse will not deliver uh, into uh, Q1 next year as we've seen a bottom in price pressures for the producers, uh, and. That is the first sign of cyclical pressures building again in U.S. inflation. And I think we should expect more of the same into next year. We also see, uh, in my view, a, a bottom forming in the contributions from energy uh, on a year-over-year basis. Um, the energy inflation in the U.S. index is relatively easy to forecast uh, as long as you follow the spot developments in uh, the U.S. Um, uh, energy markets. And again here, the bottom was likely found earlier this autumn, uh, while the contributions will not be net negative uh, on a sequential basis from here. So the easy disinflation is behind us. Uh, it was easy to get 6-7% to 3 uh, the tricky part is to get from three to two uh, because you don't have those um, benign tailwinds from disinflation in energy, from disinflation in cyclical goods and disinflation in the producer leg. Uh, we should also note that um, some of the early trends seen in, for example, used cars, uh, they're also around um, a, a, a turning point now. Uh, the Mannheim index, uh, so basically an index uh, of used cars auctions, uh, also seems to flip into year-end, um, as you can see from the dark blue indicator here. And it tends to lead the developments in the CPI index of, let's say, roughly four months. Um, again here, we've had the benign moves. Uh, the path ahead will be trickier than the path that we've just been through. Uh, and I think that's overall the story now that we've seen this very soft inflation print, which was basically smacked up at my forecast, basically. Uh, but now the tricky path is ahead of us. The easy path was just behind us. Um, and therefore, some of the trends that we see in the market uh, this week, a week a dollar, um, very strong returns in bonds, um, a celebration across technology um, and everything interest rate sensitive in financial markets. Um, it makes sense. Uh, we also talked about it last week on the show that technology should perform as a consequence of this lower inflation, uh, as a consequence of the softness in interest rates. But I think it will be trickier to uh, to find strong returns in technology uh, in the uh, months ahead of us due to this a flip or turnaround in the trends um, in forward-looking indicators on inflation. It's not because I think inflation will return with a strong vengeance, but I think from a rate of change perspective, we're about um, close to the bottom now. So the best leading indicator of that, um, we've spent time on, on elaborating on this indicator in the business cycle series here on Real Vision uh, a couple of times. Um, I think the best indicator is the so-called price plan survey from the NFIB. Uh, and the NFIB um, asks uh, this question to um, members, uh, mostly in the uh, service sector, in, um, in the SME space. And therefore, this is sort of a clear underlying trend survey when it comes to price pressures because they asked this question on price plans ahead to companies with a large component of wage costs uh, relative to goods. And as you can see, there is a bottom forming uh, in this survey. Uh, we re uh, 
have received the latest print from the NFIB uh, on Tuesday, uh, a couple of hours ahead of the uh, inflation report, and we saw another spike um, in price plans. So basically, companies are telling us that they expect to price uh, their products in a more expensive way into next year. Uh, or at least an, an, a net aggregate of, of the respondents uh, tell us that. So as you can see, there is a, a pretty decent uh, correlation to the median of the CPI basket. And as you note on the left-hand scale, the median will never get back to 2% if this forward-looking indicator is to be trusted. And um, I put a lot of trust in this one. Uh, I think it's one of the best forward-looking indicators out there. Um, we can also use the labor market as a gauge of uh, core inflation pressures. And if we do that in the US, uh, for example, by uh, judging uh, inflation pressures via the job openings to uh, unemployed ratio, I still think that we're hovering around levels that are consistent with, as you can see on the right-hand axis, say 4% core inflation or thereabout. Um, and we need substantial weakness in the labor market from here to get to 2%. Uh, that may arrive next year, I'm still not confident that we will see sufficient weakness to get us to 2% short term, uh, which means that the Federal Reserve will still have to decide on whether to deliver this rate hike that they originally planned upon for December, um, especially if U.S. key figures start to re-accelerate into year-end and if U.S. key figures also start to see an impact of higher energy prices again. We're going to take another quick break and be right back with more of today's top analysis on the Real Vision Daily Briefing. That's the final theme of the day, and I want to emphasize uh, the relevance of this theme because we've seen a landslide, uh, almost at least, in the oil price through the latter parts of September and through October and into November. The major catalyst behind move downwards in the oil price um, was the weakness in the manufacturing sector through the month of October. So the ISM manufacturing printed at 46 and a half thereabout, uh, below the 50 threshold of expansion versus contraction. Um, it was a setback relative to the underlying improvement uh, that we otherwise saw through uh, the early autumn. And if you look at that survey relative to the oil market, um, it is now clear that we have a downwards trend uh, in the oil market also when it comes to positioning. So the paper market in oil is now net short oil again. That's what you see on the right-hand axis here. We have more short contracts than long contracts uh, in future space. And on the left-hand axis, you have the ISM P&I. So the current positioning is roughly consistent with 46, 47 thereabout in the ISM manufacturing. But I think the manufacturing number was a fluke or a phony or whatever you call it in English um, in the month of October uh, because it was very driven by this sharp sell-off in bonds that we had uh, when the issuance report uh, was released uh, earlier in uh, in Q3. Uh, sorry, in Q3. Um, so we had first a move higher in interest rates uh, during the survey period before now moving much lower in interest rates. So the survey was conducted at a very um, peculiar timing or a very tricky timing um, given the fast tightening of financial conditions at the time. So I think that impacted the survey quite a lot. And now we have much easier financial conditions again, just say three, four weeks after, uh, which will likely spill over to a positive mood in that survey again in uh, November. And on top of that, we also had the 
Energy Information Agency, the EIA, claiming that the gasoline demand fell off a cliff in September and early October. Uh, that was the other major catalyst behind the sell-off in the oil market. And it now shows that this was indeed fake news. Um, pardon my French, but if we look at the numbers uh, now corrected for seasonality and uh, corrected for the full information through the month of October, we've seen a complete rebound and even uh, uh, the demand is now even exceeding levels prior to that uh, demand uh, cliff that we saw in September and early October in this data. So what happened? Well, I think there was some hesitancy from refiners um, basically spilling over to uh, invent inventory data uh, in the gasoline uh, uh, survey here. But now that we have the full data set, now that we have the seasonality corrected, uh, we know that the demand for gasoline was high. Uh, I never trusted the number in the first place because you can look at actual congestion. Uh, you can look at numbers of cars on the road. You can look at uh, port activity. You can look at flight data. And none of it suggested that the demand for transportation fuel was down. Uh, so it was ultimately some sort of spreadsheet error, um, likely driven by this hesitancy among refiners. And now we're back at levels prior to this sell-off. So the demand side was never weak. Um, and... Uh, therefore, I'm a bit uh, puzzled, actually, to see the oil price down here. Uh, I think it's very driven by the paper market. Um, and therefore, uh, I've just uh, bought oil uh, 30 minutes ago uh, in anticipation of a move higher on the back of this data correction. Um, and final thing that supports that thesis is uh, the numbers that we've received from regional federal reserves. Uh, Philly Fed uh, an hour or two ago, and the Empire Fed in New York uh, yesterday. Those two regional PMIs rebounded materially in November, just as I described that the October was probably a data glimpse due to the um, storm in financial markets right around the survey dates. Uh, now that we have more benign conditions, uh, the survey will likely look much more positive this month. Uh, and that's another strong signal that the oil demand is at least not declining from here. Um, say over the month of November and December. 24 is another discussion for now. Uh, so I think we will see a late year spike in energy prices due to a repricing of the manufacturing outlook in a positive direction again, and due to a repricing of the uh, transportation fuel demand after the data correction from the uh, energy uh, agency. So my portfolio and uh, sorry, I haven't updated it with uh, the latest purchase of oil year 30 minutes ago, but long oil and uh, long duration in Europe. So long 20 year plus bonds in Europe uh, in anticipation of uh, inflation reaching sub 2% levels early next year. And then in the US, I think the right move in bond space is to buy tips. Uh, so basically inflation protect, protect uh, treasuries. Um, tips will perform if the inflation expectations go up say alongside a, a small spike in the oil price while the Federal Reserve is, will be hesitant. Um, sort of react to it. Uh, and I think that's a cocktail that uh, seems very likely here. Also, when we have those, say, short-term tailwinds for industrials um, towards year end, again, 24 is another discussion. I think the recession will arrive in 24. Uh, but these short-term tailwinds for industrials, um, they spill over positively on Germany. Germany has been priced for a complete disaster scenario. Uh, and if you look at the uh, iShares um, uh, German ETF, 
it's been rallying like crazy and also outperforming peers in recent weeks. Uh, I've enjoyed that rally, uh, thankfully, um, and I, I think more is on the cards. Uh, if this short-term uh, positivity around manufacturing um, and the sort of uh, cyclical components of the economy will um, uh, sort of uh, lead the economy into year-end here. So those are the major takeaways right now. Inflation will be tricky to get back to 2% in the US. It will be easier in Europe. Uh, we should expect um, some kind of repricing in a positive sense of the manufacturing outlook and the energy prices as a consequence. Uh, and those are the main themes for me from here and until year end. Uh, into 2024, I think we see more and more signs of the consumer caving in. Uh, maybe that spike in the oil price will be the sort of... Uh, final straw that breaks the camel's back. So with those words, let me remind you that uh, this is just a window into my thinking uh, on macro trends. I cannot guarantee you that you have the same risk appetite or the same risk horizon as I have. But what I can guarantee you is that we um, cover these macro trends on a weekly basis here at Real Vision. And if you like what you saw, uh, you can find out more uh, about Stitter Research and we have the exclusive offer RV40 uh, for those of you interested in following the portfolio live and for those of you interested in um, in reading my research uh, on top of watching this show. Thank you very much again for watching. Uh, if you have any comments or themes that you would like me to touch upon, please leave them in the comment section and I'll make sure to um, in uh, include them in next week's show. See you again next week. People are going to lose their minds. This is a moment in history unlike anything humanity's gone through. It's a very different world for humans to come. Take a step back and see the broad picture, which is the way all these technologies are interlinked. Because this is all about exponentiality, and humans can't think in exponential terms. How consequential do you want to say machine intelligence is? It's almost certainly as consequential as writing. How long did writing take to disseminate through the human population? You know, hundreds, thousands of years. And we're dealing with it now on a scale of months. But in this kind of world, you're compounding 100% growth every year, and the numbers become astronomical. AI is going to spot patterns in the world that were just completely invisible to us. Even if you think that the AI and the robots are your demise, you might as well bloody invest in them and make some money out of it. If not, you're just going to be angry man shaking your fists at the clouds.